My name is Dave. There we go. Bring that down just a little bit. There we go. Thank you. My name is Dave Beiser, and um, on behalf of the folks at Cross Point Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, I want to send their greetings to you because um, one of our other pastors is preaching this morning in a series of messages on the Bible today, and, and so uh, I got a chance to just be away for a couple weeks. We have another pastor preaching next weekend, our retired pastor of visitation. He's, uh, he's going to be preaching next weekend, so I'm, I'm here for a couple weeks, or at least a couple weekends. Thank you. For those of you who, and I know there are some of you, for those of you who tune in on, uh, in the mornings at 9 a.m. or somewhere throughout the course of the day, I know some of you watch my daily devotions, and I want to thank you for doing that. We have walked through some life together, let me tell you. And, uh, and I want to tell you how much I appreciate being connected to this congregation. I feel like this is my other home when it comes to a pulpit, and I know that might, may feel good for you, but it definitely feels good for me. It's good to be back among you, and it's good to be seeing some faces I haven't seen for a while. None of you have changed at all, <laughs> so, surprisingly, right? Because yeah. COVID, boy, has that done a work on us or what? Man, so I, I want to, we're, we're going to, this is a, a, a Sunday in between some message series that Pastor Carter has been working out with you, and I know I, I was watching. I, 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 got, I come home from our church in the morning. Our, our, we do two services in the morning. I come home from that. I grab some lunch, and we pull up your service here and watch while we're having lunch. Now, I know it's a little delayed. I'm not watching live anymore. We're usually home by about 12 o'clock, so your service is wrapping up, and we're just plugging in. People do that all over the nation now, by the way. People are watching all kinds of other church services and things like that. And so we're watching you while we're having lunch. And I, I've watched your last several weeks of sermons uh, all about what it means to be you, what it means to be the church, what it means to be a person of God, and how important that is. And so today I want to take that to the next step and talk about what it means to be the church unified. Because I think it's incredibly important in our world right now that, that the world would see a church unified. And unfortunately, what, oftentimes what the world sees is a church in disunity and disarray. Because we get messed up just like everybody else, don't we? Let be, let's be honest. We get messed up just like everybody else. What we recognize, unlike some other people, what we recognize is that we have a Savior who cleans us up when we get messed up. Now, that should make an amen happen in the room. We have a Savior that cleans us up when we get messed up, right? I don't know about you, but that gets me through the day right there, and it's going to get me into an eternity because he made a way for my life. And so I want to talk about what it's like to present a unified church into the world that we live in. Over, over the past several years, uh, I, can go, I can go way back. Uh, I think we have, as a nation, been in a process where we have pulled ourselves apart from each other and planted our flags and said, this is who I am and this is where I shall stand. And sometimes we call those, uh, we, we give them different names, right? We, we give them names like liberal and conservative or progressive and and right wing or, you know, we, we, you name it, we have all the names, right? 
And we'll plant our flag and we'll put it in there. And I believe that what the church has not done well is planted a flag of unity among us. Instead, we have congregations and churches say, well, I'm planting my flag over here. And other churches say, well, we're planting our flag over here. And we all believe in this Jesus who gives us life, and yet we're planting flags. And the struggle with that is that the world looks at us, especially in this season when the world is looking more closely than ever before, and by the world I mean your neighbors, the people down the street, your relatives, your friends, everybody. They're watching to see what kind of witness we are giving to one another and to the world around us. Are we giving a unified witness of belief or are we torn apart? And I think we need to talk about that because here's a statement I heard a while back. Just don't ask me to get along with everybody. Preacher. Just don't ask me to get along with everybody. That was a member of a church that said that, that made that statement to me at the end of a conversation about church membership and weekly attendance and That person was sitting on the right side of the sanctuary and had been sitting on the right side of the sanctuary for 40 years because, you see, there was another person in the congregation who sat on the left side of the sanctuary. You're with me, aren't you? Uh Uh-huh. For 40 years, these two men sat on opposite sides of the sanctuary. It was a small church in a small town, so they had figured out how to avoid each other. And on Sunday mornings, they did just that. One would come in one door, one would come in the other door. And they would come to their prospective seats, and they would sit apart from each other every Sunday. They attended that church every week. And as a young, green, wet behind the ears, that's what they called me, as a young, green, wet behind the ears pastor, I figured it was my duty to fix this problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Boy, did I underestimate the ability for two people to hold a quarrel. I thought the Hatfields and McCoys were bad. These two had it down pat. They had it to a science. They had it crafted out how they could avoid each other when they were going to the grocery store, when they were going to the market, when they were going everywhere, including church on Sunday. They strategically avoided each other because they had a, they had a feud going And so one day, I began the process of talking about how God desired unity in the church. (laughs) Wow. The very presence of God on earth, Jesus, made it abundantly clear over and over again that we were supposed to be unified. That we were supposed to be doing things in such a way that showed our unity. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says this. This is Jesus' words, not mine. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. I'm asking myself, how does this guy who sits over here and this guy sit over here showing God's love in the world so that the world might know that they were his disciples? It's not that they didn't talk about Jesus. It's just that they had this part of their lives that that was a bit messed up. So I thought that the issue needed to be addressed that the anger and the hurt needed to be resolved, and boy, was I in for a spiritual beating. I didn't realize that getting in the middle of these two individuals was going to get me plastered in a way that I had never expected. And I ended up a spiritual and emotional casualty of two individuals who had staked their claims 
And no amount of biblical evidence, no amount of asking, no amount of pleading, no amount of pointing out how Jesus called us to unity was going to influence how these two were going to keep their feud going. Because they were committed, sadly, disappointingly committed to their feud. So as I pointed out that, they, that we are to love our neighbors and show kindness and care to all of God, God's creatures, I heard those words. Just don't ask me to get along with everybody, preacher. Well, I came back with some swift remark like this because I was young. So I came back with a, one of those remarks, well, I'm not asking you to get along with everybody, but Jesus is. And I'm pretty sure that on his right hand, as it began to fist up, I saw my name written right there. Boy, it was coming. And he held back, thank heavens, or I think he'd have, he'd have physically taken care of me that day. I'm pretty sure that no number of things I would have said that day would have changed his mind. Because he, is, he was committed to take this feud to the grave. And let me tell you, that's exactly what the two of them did. They did not reconcile their entire lives. They did not get over it. They did not get past it. They maintained that feud until the very end of their lives, both of them. And yes, I'm pretty sure that in heaven, when the two of them met, Jesus sat them down at a table and said, you two stay here until you figure this out. I'll be back. Oh, by the way, you've got an eternity. Hmm. Yes, I did say that they were in heaven. I'm not sure that just because you hold feuds is going to keep you out of heaven. As a matter of fact, I don't think anything that small is going to keep us out of heaven. Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, and our sins are gone and eradicated, and I'm pretty sure disunity among these two individuals was pretty much a sin. But Jesus took care of that, and so they believed in him, and I think they ended up in heaven. I wonder what eternity is going to be like for the two of them. I can't wait to meet them. And maybe they're walking around arm in arm. Maybe they're walking around. Maybe their houses are right next to each other. Maybe God did that on purpose. Ha <laughs> ha! Ooh, Jesus. Come on. Now, here's what I believe in the core of who I am. I believe Jesus called us to two things. Love and unity. He called us to those things. And as a result, there would be other things that would happen out of those two things. Peace, care for our community, a desire to see people come to know Jesus if we love them. If we're unified, there would be a, a powerful message and a powerful witness in the world. The Spirit of God would be exemplified among us. I believe that. And I believe Jesus believed it so much so, so that he commanded us to do those things, to be people who are unified and people who love one another. And I think he must have thought we were capable of doing it, or he wouldn't have asked us. I want to say that again. I want to make sure I'm clear about this with you. My belief is that Jesus believes that you are capable of being in unity with one another and loving one another and loving the world that you live in, or he wouldn't have asked us to do it. Now, I also believe that the Spirit of God coming in us is what helps us make that possible. It's what helps make all things possible, right? And so 
here's what I believe. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, I want to read this passage for you. If you've got a Bible with you, if you've got your phone or your app or your paper copy, whatever it is, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, I want to read this for you. I'm not using the same translation that you're using there in the seat, so it's, the one I'm using is going to pop up on the screen, so I want you to just hear or follow along. Here's what it says. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, the I, by the way, is the Apostle Paul. That's who's speaking here. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's in jail, by the way, by, at this moment as he writes this. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I want to read that again. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is is the word of our God. Thanks be to God for his word. In this passage, the word unity, or the word one, is used repetitively as Jesus speaks through the Apostle Paul to all of us and says, this is what the church looks like. The church is a place where people are one. The church is a place where people get along with one another. The church is a place where people live their lives together, and that's what makes us best. That's what makes the message of the church and the message of Jesus Christ in the world so powerful. It does not mean that we all agree on every issue. Hear me clearly. Not every issue is going to be one that we're going to all agree on. Did you hear me say that? Right? We're going to disagree on some things, but we can be in unity on those things that are going to make a difference in the world. We can be unified in the things that are going to change people's lives and transform the world and the community that we live in. It would be impossible to request human beings to all get along all the time. Don't, I've been married, as of yesterday, I've been married for 39 years. Yeah, that's not bad. But let me tell you, we've had some differences. Anybody in here have some differences? with? The, oh, Lordy. Hands went up all over. 
but we are unified. You see, the same words are used here. When Jesus says that a, fa- a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become, what's the word that they? One flesh, right? It's the same wording. It's the same principle. It's the same thing. When Jesus is calling us to one, he's calling us to join together, not to eradicate our thought processes or get away from those things that cause us to be different from one another, but to bring those things together in unity in such a way that the world might be blessed by seeing the church unified and to feel that kind of love. You see, we are called to make every effort in our lives to be united in the Spirit, binding ourselves together with peace. Each person who becomes a believer and follower of Jesus is called to be a part of the church family and therefore has been given the responsibility to be unified with one another. The responsibility is ours. To be unified with one another. That means we're going to have to do some things that are going to be challenging for us, right? Let's be honest, because we're just being honest this morning, right? We can be honest. It's going to be challenging, because we don't all get along. But we can love one another unconditionally. We have been called to do that. And by loving each other unconditionally, we can ask questions like, does this have eternal significance, this argument I'm having, this difference that's in my mind right now? Does it, is this really going to matter when I look back on all of this from heaven's side of the fence? Hmm. Is it really going to matter ten years from now? Is it really going to matter two years from now? Is it going to matter two minutes from now? We can ask some questions about, does it really matter, and will it have eternal significance? If it does, we all better get behind it. If it doesn't, then we need to learn how to let go. I can be in relationship with people who don't get along with the same ideas that I, get, I have in my heart, but I can love them unconditionally. Because I've been called to do just that. Now it takes some work on our part to figure out how to do that. But if we do not, the world will notice. And the world has noticed in big ways that the church doesn't always get along with people that we don't get along with. We do some damage in the world by telling the world what we're against and then standing firm. Instead of inviting people into our lives and helping teach them. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. It says this. Their lives, meaning those who are living in disunity, those who are not living in the love of Christ, their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deceptions, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. That's what disunity looks like. We know what disunity looks like. That's a list of what it looks like to be in a different place than another and stand that ground no matter what. I love what it says in there. They create new ways of sinning. Haven't we seen some of that in our time? That's what a disunified church 
will allow to have happen in the world, when our voice no longer matters in the world, when the voice of the church, because we have become so disunified and we have forgotten how to love one another unconditionally, the world's just stopped listening and says you're no longer relevant, we no longer will listen to your voice. We all bring baggage into this building. We've all got it, and we all will deal with it in one way or another at this altar, most likely at one point in time or another point in time. We will either deal with it in front of this altar while we're still living, or we'll deal with it in a box. That's the reality of our lives. And I would much rather deal with it on this side while I'm still living and still breathing, and I can see the evidence of the work of God in my life and in yours. But the world needs to see this so desperately right now. The church in America has been on a steady decline for decades. A chart from the Gallup people. Do we have? Yes, there it is. There's the chart. Over Over the course of time, This goes all the way back to the 1940s. Now, I know nobody in this room is that old. It goes all the way back to the church in the 1940s where we averaged around 70-some percent of our society coming to church every weekend all the way through to about 2,000. 2,000, still 70% of people said they were regular attenders at church. That's not long ago. That's 21 years ago. But within that 21 years, we have seen a sharp decline. We are now, at the year 2020 is the last recorded date, at 47%. We are on a sharp decline. Any business who had this as their tracking would look at closing its doors, wouldn't it? We are not going to close these doors. But we have been placed by the gates of hell, and hell will not overcome We have the Lord Jesus Christ on our side, and so we have some work to do. A unified church is a powerful force in a world. And if we can bring that powerful force to the world, we have the capability and the possibility of changing the world that we live in forever. When members of the church family are not united, though, it is easy for the enemy to make these kinds of of declines possible. And the enemy will win the day. The enemy has won the day in some of our families. The enemy has won the day in some of our communities, in some of our neighborhoods, in some of the people that we know. And the enemy is smiling when the church remains disunified and forgets that our call is to love one another. So what are we going to do about it? Because I am not going to give the devil a foothold. I refuse to give him room in the church. It's time. Because you see, disunity equals ineffectiveness. When we're not all getting along, we're ineffective. It's like having a, a, a tug-of-war team where not everybody's pulling. And let me tell you, on the other side of the rope is Satan and his team, and, and, and his whole team is pulling hard. You know that, and I know it. So it's time for our churches 
It's time for all of us as believers to start pulling our work together and start doing the things that God has asked us to do, or Satan will continue to have a field day among us. The church today, that has been around for 2,000 years, has a common enemy. And that common enemy is not the people sitting in this room. The common enemy is not a different denomination. The common enemy is not the non-denominational church down the road that has other people driving to it. The common enemy is not our fellow Christians. We are all on the same team last time I checked. So, if the common enemy is Satan, the stealer of our souls, if the common enemy is, is he who would love nothing more than to rob people away from God, if that's our common enemy, then we've got some work to do. And it's going to take some work on your part and mine. And here are the things that we need to do. The first one is this. We need to surrender. We need to surrender some of the things that we are holding on to that do not have eternal significance. We need to surrender some of the, some of the places where we've planted our flags and say, you know what, that flag just isn't going to last anyway. That flag just isn't that important. That flag isn't that vital. We need to learn how to surrender some of the things that we're feeling inside of ourselves because they just don't have eternal significance. I can feel certain ways about things, but if it's going to keep me from being in unity with one another, I need to learn how to surrender those. I need to learn how to say what I feel is not as important as what you feel. Where I'm at is not as important as where you're at. The Bible over and over again says that we are to place others in positions that are more important than ourselves. And there's nothing greater than a person who can give their life for a friend. We've got to learn to surrender. Surrender ourselves and what we think is is the last bastion and to believe that God has the last word. Not us. Secondly, we need to sacrifice. We need to sacrifice. We need to be willing to say, this is worth it. This is a cause I will give everything to. This is a decision I will make and stand firm that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other. And I will sacrifice everything I have. My fortune. I will sacrifice my reputation. I will sacrifice my vacation. I will sacrifice everything I have for this cause. I will give it all because it does have eternal significance. It will matter one day when I stand before a living God who will sit on a throne of judgment before me. When he places my life in front of him and says, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with my son who gave his life for you? I want to be able to stand strong and firm on that day, knowing full well that I'm standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and be able to say I did all I could. And to be honest about it. That means I'm going to have to surrender and sacrifice so that I might have unity among us and love one another. Oh, that we might be that kind of church. Oh, that we might be that kind of people. Oh, that the world might see that kind of church today. Because here's what I believe. If the world could see that kind of church, there's not enough room in this building to sit everyone who will show up. 
What if we were that kind of church? What if your kids started coming to church because they believed that there was unity among the church and love that was unconditional? What if our neighbors could start coming to church because they believed that they would be loved and accepted right here and and when you walk in the door, we're all going to get along? No matter what, I know what I'm asking. It's not going to be easy. But we can do it because God believes we can do it. Jesus called us to do it. And he said that when I ascend into heaven, I will give you power. There will be power among you. I'm going to send my spirit into you, and you will have the power of the living God living in you. If you don't think this is possible, if you think that this is in an, a, a pipe dream, then I want to ask you to call on the living God today. I want to ask you to reach out and ask the Spirit of God to come alive in you once again today, to come new into your life again today and enliven you to be a church unified, to find the love of God in your life once again. I want to call you to call on God once again today because I believe that until the church decides to make a difference in the world, we will continue to see decline. And I'm tired of that story. Anybody with me? then let's pray. I want to ask you right now, I want to invite you to pray fervently before the Lord that his spirit might come into this place, sweeping into our hearts once again, new in a way that would unify us as a congregation and bring us to a place where we might love one another and this community we live in unconditionally for God. I want to ask you to be bold enough, to be brave enough, to be crazy enough to pray that kind of prayer. Are you that Are you that crazy? Are you that bold to pray that God would come sweeping into this place like never before and enliven this congregation that this community might know the love of Jesus Christ and find a fellowship united for him? May we pray that. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne. Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you are the one who will be the the final judge of what we do. And we ask, O God, your forgiveness in those places when we have fallen short of your command to love one another and to be unified as your church. Forgive us, Lord. We're sorry. Because we love you. But we find it hard to love one another. Help us to see you in the other. Help us to see your face, your eyes, your voice, your heart when we see one another. For Lord, if we're created in your image, then each one of us holds your image. And so, Lord God, help us. Give us eyes to see your image in each other today. Help us to see your image in the eyes of those who do not look like us. Don't talk like us. Don't act like us. Don't believe like us. But Lord, help us see you and to be unified with those who say one thing, that your son, Jesus Christ, is Lord. May we be unified with those who believe in you, that your church might have an impact in the world today like it has never had. May you bring a revival, Lord, to this place, a renewed spirit, that would fill this room and to fill everyone who walks in and out of this place. May your church be a church that is 
alive for you. Help us to be that kind of church, Lord. Wipe away those things that would get in the way. Help us to learn how to sacrifice and surrender for you so that your word might be heard in this world today. For the world is desperate to hear it, Lord. And you have asked us. You have thought highly enough of us to give us the task of of sharing your love in such a way that the world might see you. May we do that together, Lord, as brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for letting me be a part of your church today and yell at you a little bit, or yell at all of us a little bit. We've got some work to do, do we not? And I can tell you whether it's Pennsylvania or whether it's North Carolina, we all got work to do. And we're going to do it together. That's why I like being a part of this church. It reminds me that we are all connected. It doesn't matter whether you're United Methodist or Baptist. It just doesn't matter. But here's why I believe that. Because I don't think there's a Methodist corner in heaven. Now, I know that some people believe there's a Baptist corner in heaven. I know, I just said that. But I don't believe there is. I don't believe there's any corner in heaven. I believe there's one big place where every believer will gather to worship the living God for an eternity. And we're going to be beside each other. We're going to be beside people who we didn't expect to see there. You're going to be beside some neighbors who you thought, oh, I didn't know that. But we can do this. Some of you are laughing about that right now because you just pictured a couple of neighbors of yours. Mm, we can do this. It's going to take some work. And let me ask you right now, if you're willing to do that kind of work, if you're willing to be that kind of church, if you're willing to be that kind of believer, if you're willing to be that kind of person, would you just stand up right where you're at? Would you do that with me? I'm standing for him. I'm standing to be united in the church. I'm standing to love one another that his peace and his unity might reign and rule in this world. And I am so proud to be standing with a group of people like you. Because I know, I know that being planted by the gates of hell, that the Spirit of God will come into those of you who have stood this day and enliven you for something new. And I know that you've got a preacher who will lead you there. Amen? That's all I got. It's all yours. You want to go? Our hymn of invitation is going to be 416. Uh, my faith looks up to.